Uh, typically speaking, this is a low attended weekend, but online people are watching. Would you welcome the online campus and those at Conway? Hello, Conway campus. Good morning. And uh, before I get started, I'm going to give you just a hint. I'm going to be speaking today on what shame does to you. Uh, I'm going through a different angle to get there. Uh, but I do know that many times when the Lord is trying to reel you back in, maybe you've been away from the things of God for a long time. Uh, maybe you haven't been to church again in a long time uh, because you don't feel worthy. Uh, I've said this many times. Whenever you do that, because this is what happens, we think, man, I do believe God loves me and I do believe he has forgiven me. But there's a few things that I've done in my life. I don't know if he can forgive me for those things. Shame. But when you do that, it's like you're saying the cross was amazing. The price that he paid for me was huge, but it wasn't enough. The Bible says when you have that attitude, it's almost like you're saying uh, that you're actually crucifying him all over again. So, so how do you get this back, like this, this walk with God back if you've been dealing with that? Uh, so I'm going to talk about that. But the first thing I want to let you know, last weekend I was not at church and LSU last Saturday night uh, played the Hogs and I just want to say that LSU won, so give it up for me. Okay, I know you won't do that. But I do want to say I will admit that the calls are really bad uh, for, for LSU, uh, but, but uh, I do know that, man, I'm just glad to see the Hogs are good again. Congratulations, you guys are good. You're going to win a lot of games. LSU stinks. Uh, worst team I've ever seen, uh, but we're going to move on. Everybody say amen. This year, I've seen so many people fall away from the Lord. I just want to tell you, it's, it's been discouraging to see. Uh, their convictions in faith and then the shame on the people, I've seen that over and over again. So here's a question I want you to think about. What if in the most difficult year, now, maybe it hasn't been the most difficult year for you, but accumulatively speaking, this has been the most difficult year for people in our church and even outside of our church uh, through COVID and many other things. What if in the most difficult year, again, accumulatively speaking, uh, that it could also be the strongest year in faith for all of us ultimately? Meaning that we could finish strong and closer to the Lord than at any other time. That's what I'm going to aim at right now. I mean, the eyes on the Lord and off of politics, off of the news, off of the rigidity of social media and how tense it can become there, but on to the Lord. So where I got this idea this week is I was listening to Rachel Bernardi, uh, one of the ladies in our church. She was teaching on the talents uh, with the life of Christ. All of us are traveling through the life of Christ right now. I'm very proud of how many people are looking at this, listening to the devotions, reading the blogs. It's been amazing. But this week when Rachel was teaching about the talents, uh, she was referring to uh, the man who had five talents and he made it into 10 talents. And the Lord is using himself in this parable. And when he returned and saw that he had doubled it, like he was proud of him. Then when he gave another person two talents and he returned and he had made it four, he was proud of him. But there was one person he gave one talent to and when he returned, uh, he had buried it. He didn't do anything with it. 
And Jesus was very, very frustrated. And this man made excuses. And then the Lord got extremely intense. He basically called him lazy bones. And he said, I'm frustrated with you. And man, go and read what happened there. So when I was listening to that, I started thinking about who in the Bible represents someone with a name in the Bible? Who represents uh, the, 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 the faithfulness of a believer, the faithfulness of someone who didn't hide any of their talents, but they had them on display and they worked it hard? So I thought of the, the mother of Christ, Mary. Raise your hand uh, if you ever heard of her, Okay. And, uh, but I'm not going to talk to you about the Christmas, Mary. I'm going to talk to you about 30 years later, uh, the Mary who raised Jesus, and now he's 30 years old, and something happened. Now, I know we just got through Thanksgiving, and now I'm talking about Christmas, but some people are already celebrating Christmas. Like, you started the day after Halloween and the music. I saw someone post this week. Michelle told me about it. They post, hey, we just fly through Thanksgiving. We don't hang out there much. But if they wrote some good music for Thanksgiving, maybe we'd stay there for a little bit. Well, Christmas has its good music, and we're going to have candlelight services this year, and it's going to be powerful But I want to go to the Jesus who was around 30 years of age. And and Mary was with him. And they were at a certain place. And in fact, it was the first miracle in the Bible. Uh, Can anybody yell out or type in, if you're listening online, what is the first miracle that Jesus did? Where was he? Anybody want to yell it? That's right. It was at a wedding. And uh, not only was Mary there, but Jesus was there. The disciples were there. And, uh, and, and I just want you to think about this. What was the first miracle that ever happened in your life? I guarantee you Jesus was there. So let's, let's look at this passage of Scripture. In John chapter 2, and in verse 1, it says, On the third day, now the reason why it says the third day a wedding, like it's hard to go to a wedding that even lasts an hour. This one is now on the third day, because back in those days, weddings would last for a whole week. Very important for you to understand that. And on the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. Jesus was also there, and his disciples, his posse, was there. And he had also been invited to the wedding, so they were there. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, I just want to say this, whether I need to say it or not. I'm not here to preach on drinking or not drinking. But the wine back in those days was about ten times less powerful So if you had one glass of wine now, you'd have to have 10 to 20, some theologians believe, before it'd be as powerful as the fermented wine right here. But it it still is wine. And woman, why do you involve me? This is what Jesus said. And he said, my hour is not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So it's interesting to me that the talents... In that particular parable that I referred to earlier, Jesus was frustrated when there was someone lazy. And now he is extremely impressed when someone is doing something about it. And it's not related to his mom. It's related to her her obedience. Everybody look at me just for a minute. One time Jesus was in a crowd and his mom might have been there or may not have been there. And someone yelled out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth. 
And he goes, no, blessed rather is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. So yes, he loved his mom, and she was a faithful woman. Uh, that's the reason why the father showed up and allowed her to give birth to his son. Uh, but the Bible says when they said to her, you are faithful, she immediately got troubled. And I think that even initially, uh, Mary might have struggled with some of the things that we struggle with. And that is shame. Like, hey, I can't, I'm not worthy to be used by God. We deal with that. But if you fast forward, you can see that she got more and more confidence as she was around Jesus. This is the way it is for us too. The more you're around the Lord, the more confidence that you'll have and you'll no longer hesitate and try to pivot away. Can I have an amen? So in this story, Mary, she did not know what to do. They ran out of wine, big problem. I'll describe that in a minute. But she did know who to ask. She, she was not just informing God on the need. She was inviting him in. Mary was not bossing Jesus around. She was basically asking him to be involved. And here's a twist to it. She not only knew who to ask, but she also knew who not to ask. In a situation like that, you might ask the, the wedding planner. Or maybe you would ask the groom or the family of the bride or maybe even the bride, but she did not. Now, in our day, if you're at a wedding and they run out of food, I've been to a wedding where they ran out of food and drink. And you just kind of grumble about it like, man, I can't believe I stood in line and they didn't have any food. Uh, all the nuggets were gone or whatever it might be. Uh, but in those days, because now it's just an inconvenience to run out of drink or food or whatever it is. But in those days... It was a whole week where you invited your most intimate friends and your family. And if you ran out of drink or wine, it was embarrassing. It was shame. There's the word again. So they wouldn't be thrown into prison for it, but they would be remembered for the rest of their life as the person who blew it when they were needed tremendously. So it's a powerful lesson for us to understand, uh, to me, that the very first miracle that Jesus ever did, think about this, the very first miracle that Jesus ever did was not to expose shame, but to cover shame. I think that's huge for you to know. But in this next verse, you can see that Jesus said something that I highly recommend. Come on, man. Raise your hand if you're a man right now. I highly recommend that you never say this. Look what he said. Woman. You just don't say that. Woman. I was thinking about it this week. We call our conference woman. Uh, I think a man must have named that. This is a bad idea. Woman, why do you involve me? Now, this is a serious question. He certainly wasn't joking around. But Mary doesn't just come up with excuses. She doesn't say, well, you know, Linda and Charles, they're really good people. And I feel sorry for them. You know, they lost their grandmother last year. Nothing like that. She just yells out with confidence, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, this is what moves the Lord. Like, she knows that Jesus is powerful. It's like, do whatever he says. He, she doesn't even address, woman, uh, this is not the time for this. No, do whatever he says around here. It's like a drop the mic moment. And this is when the story gets really good. She knows very well 
that Jesus knows what they need, and he knows what they think they need. Now, this is where shame gets involved. In order to continue, though, with this sermon, I just want to ask a question. Are you convinced? Everybody here, don't raise your hand, but just think about it. Are you convinced that Jesus knows what you need? Because you're not going to turn to him and ask for anything if you don't know that he knows what you need. On the other hand, he also knows what you think you need. Like Mary couldn't just run over to Trader Joe's or Sam's and grab something to drink. There was no other solution but Jesus. Running, Running after the Lord is the right decision. And here's what I've noticed. She could have ran after other things. She could have listened to everybody else, but she would have been exhausted. Whenever you just run around, even during a year where you're quarantined a lot, uh, we were in our homes for months at a time, unless you're in the medical field or something essential, uh, it's not the most intense year with work. Simultaneously, I've never seen a year where so many people are, are exhausted and tired. I think it's because when you're running around trying to find out what everybody else wants and you don't look to Jesus and say, what is it you want for us? Jesus, will you get involved in this situation? Until that happens, a vacation will not be able to help you in that time. And so here's a bait and switch point. It's not the times, and this is where I get a little bit of uh, antagonistic, It's not the times that you didn't know what to do that's creating the biggest problems in your life. It's the times where you didn't do what you did know to do. For for example, you know, everybody knows eating healthy is better than not eating healthy. Reading the Word daily is better than not reading the Word. Uh, Worshiping Him is much better than not worshiping Him. Calling someone to apologize when you hurt them is way better than not. But a lot of times, we, we don't even do what we know to do. Now, Mary learned this through the hard way. And you can even see in the book of James in chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this place or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while. That's not that encouraging. And then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. And here's where I'm talking about when you know what to do and you don't do it. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And I think this is where shame just abides with us. We just kind of settle there. Now, I know you're not enjoying this sermon because I'm hitting, hitting it hard. And everybody wants the water to turn into wine. Everybody just wants bitterness to get sweet. But it's not going to happen if we don't do something about it. And that's the reason why I'm preaching on this. This all reminds me of a Cajun joke. Anybody want a little bit of that? A lot of you don't know that Boudreaux was a priest. And, uh, and he's driving down the road. He's going a little fast and uh, weaving a little too much. Police saw him, pulled him over, didn't know it was Father Boudreaux. He pulled him over and he said, uh, Father Boudreaux, what's going on here? I'm just driving down the road. He said, well, you've been weaving back and forth. Boudreaux, I smell alcohol 
what are you drinking? Is that wine? He goes, oh, no. I would never do that. It's just water. He goes, Boudreaux, I, I think I smell alcohol. Wine. Are you drinking? No, no, no way. It's just water. He said, give me that glass. And he tasted it. He said, Boudreaux, this is not water. This is wine. Father Boudreaux said, the Lord done done it again. <laughs> all right, all right. Stay with me, all right? Stay with me. Come on, give me a hand for that. That's funny right there. Here's what I want you to know. Following Jesus is not a game of luck. It's never going to be by accident that you find him. For Thanksgiving, my family, uh, they decided to throw in a tradition because we really don't have a tradition for Thanksgiving other than everybody comes over and we eat a whole lot of food. Uh, But somebody came up with the idea, I think it was my daughter Haley, uh, that we could play bingo and whoever wins... The, the first set can, can have a little gift, and whoever wins the second set can have a little better gift. And then the third set, set was a gift card that Michelle and I already had. We just kind of put it on the table. And, uh, oh, no, we didn't. Michelle said, no, don't say that. Uh, no, we went out and purchased it early Thanksgiving morning. And uh, so, anyway, we, the first one, just first person to say bingo won the first gift. And it was pretty cheesy. Uh, second gift, if you had an X, like two, two rows diagonally all the way across, then, then you, you would get the second gift. It was a little better. And the third gift was the one we worked real hard for that morning, uh, shopping and going about to find it. It was a gift card at Bonefish for $50. How I many you know that's worth it right there, okay? So anyway, we played it, and it was about three minutes into it that I said, there's no skill in this game. I... I hadn't played bingo in a long time, but like, it's just so luck, just luck, like G44, you put it on there. There's no skill, like, I wonder how I can get there quicker. You can't cheat. They're going to call you down. It's just luck. All right, I just want to let you know, by the way, the way I moved to Arkansas was just flipping a coin. I don't even know if you know that. I just said, Lord, I'll move to Arkansas if it's tails. I flipped the coin, and it was tails, and I said, Lord, best two out of three. <laughs> okay, I made that up. But here, 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 and by the way, I, some of you, you just go by luck like finding a verse in the Bible. You ever done that? Like, Lord, just give me a verse. I don't want to pray. I don't want to seek you. I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. I just want a verse, Lord. So you open up the Bible and you point. One guy was doing that. It was very frustrating. He just pointed at a verse and said, Judas hung himself. <laughs> so he's like, that's not a good one. So he tried again. Next verse, do likewise. He's like, oh, man. So he's one more time, and the last verse says, whatever thou doest, go and do it quickly. <laughs> he's like, this whole luck thing is not going to work. But Mary, she learned that Jesus destroys shame. Even at an early age, she realized that I am flawed, but Jesus wants to use me, and he has accepted me, So let's talk about shame. By the way, shame is defeated when we do these two things. You can see like the woman at the well, this lady, she was ashamed. She had been married five times. She's now living with someone. And uh, and Jesus deals with shame in such an unusual way. He deals with it the way that he can. We can't deal with shame the way that he does. We can't do that with other people. Because this woman was embarrassed. She's in the hot part of the day getting water from a well. 
And uh, the reason why she was there in the hot part of the day, because she didn't want to be there when the other ladies were there, or the other people, because she didn't want to be seen. She was ashamed. That's what shame does. You just hide away. I've seen people in this year, they just are going through such a difficult time and they've fallen away from the Lord and I'll see them and I'll ask them, how are you doing? And you can see they put their head down like they're in shame. Because of Jesus, you don't have to live that way. You can turn and grow again. So this woman at the well, Jesus approaches her and when she saw Jesus, the Bible says she was startled and he just went right for it. He said, woman, where is your husband? I don't have a husband. I know. You had five and you divorced them and now you're living with someone. So was Jesus just trying to condemn her? No, he was trying to let her know that he knows everything about her and he's going to forgive her. This is how you deal with shame. It's not like, how can I cover this up? No, it's just like laying it before the Lord and then he restores you. So much so that this woman who was at the well, who was caught in all this, she was so free from the relationship with the Lord, he said, you'll never thirst again if you just drink from what I can give you. And she went down and won most of her city to Christ right after she was set free from shame. Meaning there's no victory, just a lot of hiding when you're around shame. And everything changes when you allow him to cover your shame. So... Shame is defeated, number one, after you get honest with God. So here's a question. When's the last time you had a real honest talk with the Lord? Look at this verse that exemplifies this. For we take thought beforehand and aim. Here it is. Everybody say aim. Aim to be honest and absolutely above suspicion. Not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of man. This this guy... King David, uh, he had an incredible relationship with the Lord, just like some people do before they get involved in shame. David was a powerful king. The Bible says he was a man with a heart after God. Uh, But one day he had a battle and everybody was at war, but he didn't go and help. He was in a position of idol, just home a lot. I've been to the city of David, and you can see there's a mountain cliff straight where the city is, and over maybe a 100 yards away is another cliff with homes there. It's easy to see. He's on top of his roof one day, and he looks over, and he saw Bathsheba bathing. And here he was, a man after God, but now he's calling his hired hands to go and get her to bring her over so he could sleep with her and have sex with her. And he did. Well, after that, there was a level of shame. In fact, the shame started growing. It was even more so when he found out that she got pregnant. So now, he finds out that she's married to his friend Uriah. So I want you to see what shame does. So he calls Uriah on the battlefield, not a phone call, got a message to him, and said, Uriah, I'm going to give you some rest to come home. He wanted... Uriah to come home and sleep with his wife so he could, he could hide the shame and the mistake that he made. So then everybody would figure, oh, it was Uriah. When he went home, he had sex with his wife, and that's how she got pregnant. The problem is Uriah was a faithful man. So when he got home, he didn't sleep in the bed. He slept elsewhere. 
So he talked with King David, and King David, how'd it go last night? Are you glad to be back? And he goes, yes, I just separated from Bathsheba. I didn't feel like it was right while all the people were working and in war and fighting, and so I decided not to touch her. Now King David has more shame, more disappointment. He's trying to cover it up. Uriah goes back out to war. He calls one of his generals or sends a message to them and says, I want you to put Uriah on the front line, meaning I want you to kill Uriah. So not only did he commit adultery, but now he's covering it with murder. So the shame is all over David. And again, the Lord sends a prophet, Nathan. And it's very interesting that Nathan just called it out. And when the Lord calls out sin that's in your life, it's not so he can just expose you and leave you there to die. It's always to get you to repent. So Nathan showed up at David's house. And he looked at him. He said, David, i got to ask you a question. It's a judgment call. And he gives this allegory, and he says, look, there's this man who has tons of things, like he's very wealthy, he has lots of sheep, but this other man only has one. And so when it's time for something to happen, like a festival or something like that, instead of killing one of his own sheep, he goes to the man who only has one, and he takes him, and he slaughters him. What should we do with that man, David? And David said, kill him. And Nathan looked at him and said, David, you are that man. It was the weight of the shame. Like, And then he exposed him. You know what you did to Uriah. You know what you did with Bathsheba. And God is trying to bless you, but now you have fallen away. What happened to the man that was after God's own heart? You better change. Well, I could talk about this for a long time, but what I'd like to talk about is in the book of Psalms, uh, you must understand that Psalms 51 was when David was repenting. And Psalms 32 is after he repented. So you may say, well, it shouldn't be uh, because 51 is after 32, but the book of Psalms is not in chronological order. So 51 happened before 32. And look what he said in Psalms 51. Forgive me of my sin. Blot out my transgression. Wash away my iniquity. I can't handle anymore. Created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. Come on, God, cast me not away from your presence. Remember the joy that I had? Would you please give it back to me? Restore unto me that joy. And don't take me out of your presence. And then give me that Holy Spirit that used to walk with me. And we know that that happened. And then in verse 32, he said, Blessed is whose transgressions are forgiven. This is after the shame was off him. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no, with no deceit. When I kept silent, which was before Psalms 51, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Can you hear any shame in that? For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. And then I acknowledge my sin. That's the point we're on, being honest about it. I admitted my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then you forgave the guilt of my sin. All right, let me just quickly say, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that Jesus went to the cross, to the, to the cross with joy for one primary reason. 
please get this. He went to the cross with joy in his heart because he knew that the cross could destroy shame in our lives. And then number two, and then we're out of here. Shame is defeated after you settle and know who you are in Christ. Now, I've said this before, but the Bible is the only book that you will ever read, and it reads you at the same time. Isn't that cool? It's like the author is sitting down right there with you. Like if Michelle would have read any of my books, uh, I could have sat down with her too, but she never had read any of my books. Uh, But I do know that God wants to stay close to you. And the Lord says this, I did something bad, or this is the way that it feels with the Lord. I did something bad, but when you hand it to the Lord, you no longer feel like that I am bad and I can't be restored. So when you bring it to the Lord, you may say, Lord, I have failed, but shame is no longer, it no longer has a grip on you, so it's no longer I am a failure and I can never succeed. When you bring shame to the Lord, you may have gotten off track, uh, but shame can't tell you that you can never be close to the Lord again. So I just want to say with as much boldness as I can as a pastor, a lot of times what we have done wrong is not what's killing us today. It's what we haven't brought to the Lord to heal us. And I just want to tell you that he never shows up with someone just to expose the sin. He shows up to someone so he can expose it and then heal their soul. With that in mind, would you bow your heads? Those in Conway and those here, just keep your heads bowed. I want to bring something up to you that you never thought about maybe. When the spies went to spy out Jericho, they met a prostitute there. Her name was Rahab the harlot. Almost every time her name is mentioned, Rahab, harlot is also attached to her name. She basically owned the red light district right by the city gate. This Rahab ended up helping the spies and then sending them off. And what she did was seen as an act of extreme faith. So she settled her relationship with the Lord. But think about it. She was a prostitute, a pagan prostitute. And this lady, her name is all over the Bible. Even in Hebrews, Rahab the harlot is listed in the hall of fame of faith. As a hero of faith. In Matthew, it actually says she is in the lineage of Jesus. The family tree. Like right there in Ancestry.com. Puts Rahab there, right there in the family line of Jesus. Jesus has a prostitute in his family. Rahab, she was married to Salmon, and they would give birth to the city of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. But isn't that a beautiful story? So I just want to let you know, I don't care what you're, you've been called. I don't care what is attached to your name. Uh, When you bring it to the Lord, he may even remember what you were, but he can still use you greatly. And that's the the beauty of Jesus, the, the great I am, the one who can forgive. I remember when he did that for me, Super Bowl Sunday, 1981. And I felt a lot of shame. And I just rolled it over to the Lord and he forgave me.
Let's see what he can do inside of some of us right now. Keep bowing your head.